the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt, joined by United States Senator Ted Cruz. He is the author of the brand new book, One Vote Away, How a Single Supreme Court Seat Can Change Our History. One Vote Away in Bookstores Today. Senator, I want to talk about the book, but I want to talk first about last night. You are perhaps the best debater ever to sit in the United States Senate, at least uh, based on your college and law school and Supreme Court career. What did you make of last night? Well, uh, I thought it was a a mud fest. Um, I think there were a lot of blows thrown. Uh, I thought it was messy. Uh, at the end of the day, I don't think either side uh, – change the the fundamentals of the election. I think everyone who was with Trump at the beginning is still with him. I think everyone who was with Biden at the beginning is still with him. I do believe there is a big winner and a big loser. The big winner is Judge Amy Coney Barrett, who got praise from Joe Biden and absolutely no rallying of the left to defeat her. And I think the big loser is Chris Wallace. And I like Chris, but you know, this job is impossible if you interject yourself. I've done it four times. You remember me doing it. You've just got to fade into the background. I, I, I think Wallace did an abysmal job. Uh, I, I think he was whiny and petulant. Uh, I think he wanted to be the center of attention. I think he prevented them. Now, look, this is not an easy debate to. This was not an easy debate to moderate. I will give him that. But but he, it was much more about him than about the debaters. And and I also think it, it's no com- it's not complicated that Chris Wallace is voting for Joe Biden. That, that his politics are liberal. And he, you know, the snide comments he made after several of Trump's comments, I, I think had no business coming from a debate moderator. And, and, and his repeatedly his questions were essentially an oppo research dump uh, that they were equivalent of a- asking Trump, when did you stop beating your wife? And, and he didn't do that on the other side. It was clear which side he was rooting for. And, and, and that's a bad thing for a debate moderator. I joked this morning that I spotted Steve Scully at Dulles in sunglasses buying a ticket to South America, which Steve retweeted. But I actually think he'll be good. He, he, I mean, his ego's not going to be engaged. He's just going to ask a question and lay back. I, I, I think that's—and, you know, it was interesting. The first question Wallace asked was good. The Supreme Court question, the way he teed it up, he said— uh, Trump, you say X. Biden, you say Y. Tell us why you're right. That, that's actually a pretty good debate question yes, for is. a moderator. And, yes, and the way he teed it up, it was not uh, super editorialized. It was a pretty fair characterization of each of their arguments. And then he said, all right, go. That That is much more appropriate than trying to jump in at every time. There were several times I, I, I thought the, the, the president had Biden on the ropes. Uh, for example, when Biden said, oh, lots of law enforcement is su- are, are supporting me, and Trump said, fine, name one law enforcement organization in America that's supporting you. And, and Biden 
blinked in terror and had no answer. And then Wallace jumped in. Oh, let's move on. Let's move on. It was a lifeline. It was like, uh, who wants to be a millionaire? Let's go back to one vote away. <laughs> last last night, the question was posed of the vice president. Will you veto? He didn't say it the right way. Chris Wallace could have said, would you veto court packing? He asked, will you take a position on it? Joe Biden wouldn't. In, in interviews after the debate, Kamala Harris refused to answer the same question from John Dickerson of CBS, from Jake Tapper of CNN. They will not answer a question. And I, I, you covered this in one vote away. Why is court packing such a fundamental threat to the republic, and why won't Democrats answer it? Well, let me start with the second question first, which is they won't answer it because they intend to pack the court if they get power. That, that, that this Democratic Party is controlled by the far left. Uh, if, if, if we wake up in January with Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, in the opening weeks, Schumer will end the filibuster, which will end the ability of the Senate minority to stop them ramming through their agenda. After they do that, I think one of the things we will see early on, they will admit two additional states to the United States. They'll admit the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. The reason they're doing so is, is, is crassly political, which is that Democrats believe that adding those two will add four Democratic senators. And, and then I fully believe that they will move to pack the court, and I think they will likely have the votes to do it. And, and that politicizes the court. It destroys the independence. We've seen a Democratic president try to back, pack the court previously. FDR did it. And his own party resisted him. His own party said, no, we don't want the court to be a political body. Today's Democrats, I don't believe, would, would resist one iota. And, and, and I think it's where they're headed if they get power. I want to go to the end of one vote away, how a single Supreme Court seat could change history. Ted Cruz's new book, Senator, you write on page 224, chaos erupted about the Senate confirmation hearing. Can I believe the Senate Democrats callously took advantage of Dr. Ford? Hugh Hewitt's prediction is that the torpedo that will be put in the water against Amy Coney Barrett is her service as chairman of the hiring committee at Notre Dame and as a member of tenure and promotions, which every tenured member of a faculty has to be. We're going to hear from disappointed job seekers and disappointed promotion seekers who are going to blame ACB. Will you commit to refusing to reopen the hearings and working the chairman to refuse to reopen the hearings when they pull this stunt again? Well, I think they certainly will pull the stunt. What I am absolutely committed to is that we need to have this confirmation completed before Election Day, that, that, that we owe it to the country. And, and it's important to understand why. This is not simply a, a, a question of one side or the other. Uh, th- this is a question of having the Supreme Court able to do its job as we head into what is likely to be a, a contested election. Joe Biden has been explicit that if he loses, he's going to challenge the legitimacy of the election. Um, as you know, one of the chapters in, in One Vote Away, each, each, each chapter of the book talks about a different constitutional right, and it, and it talks about my experience litigating some of the biggest landmark cases in the country. Well, one of the chapters talks about Bush versus Gore. We could easily be reliving Bush versus Gore, the 2000 presidential recount, uh, this November and this December, except unlike what happened in 2000. We could see it not just in one state, Florida, but we could, we could see litigation in two, three, four, five states. And if there are only eight justices on the court, the court could divide 4-4. And as you know, under the Constitution, a 4-4 court has no authority whatsoever. It cannot resolve a case. So we could end up with 
a presidential election with conflicting courts of appeals and no functioning Supreme Court able to resolve that matter, I think the Senate has an obligation to make sure we have a full court, a nine-justice court, that can resolve the matter. And, and, and it's important to underscore also something, Hugh, you understand, but, but uh, not everybody does. This is not to have a justice who's going to rule for one, one candidate or another. That's not the Supreme Court's job. It, it is to have a court that can provide finality and ensure that the law is followed. We want this election, if there's a bunch of litigation and fights uh, injecting chaos, we want a court that can ensure that the Constitution and federal law are being complied with. I think that is otherwise we're in a constitutional crisis, and the Senate has an obligation to avoid that. I want to dwell on this, Senator, because I saw you with Judge uh, Barrett yesterday make this point. Very few people understand. They've got to understand we're going to be in overtime likely in three or four different states. There may be federal court rulings, but there will almost certainly be state support Supreme Court rulings, which may be in conflict with each other concerning the principles of a federal election that would require a Supreme Court. And only the Supreme Court can review the state Supreme Court's ruling. We have a nightmare if we have a 4-4 court. We just do. We have a nightmare on our hands. No, that's exactly right. And and you may have conflicting state Supreme Courts. You may have conflicting federal courts of appeals. Uh, You know, in the chapter on Bush versus Gore, I talk about what what happened. I was a young lawyer working in Austin on the the George W. Bush campaign. That's actually where I met my wife, Heidi. Uh, We were in cubicles right down the hall from each other. And and on election night, if you remember, first the networks wrongly called Florida for Al Gore. They did it while the polls were still open in Florida. People were still voting in the panhandle. Then the networks realized they screwed up. They flipped it to uncertain. Then, several hours later, they called it for Bush and declared the presidency won. Al Gore called Bush. He conceded on the phone, said, congratulations, you've won. He was driving to give his concession speech, and his team said, wait a second, it's closer than we think. Gore retracted his concession. And what happened over the next month is the Gore team filed litigation all over the state of Florida, trying to undo the election results, trying to throw out ballots that had been cast for George W. Bush and trying to find new ballots cast for Gore. And and look, that's what anyone in a recount does. If you've lost and they had counted the ballots and, and, and Gore had lost, you want to change the results. We ended up, I I spent the entire time in Tallahassee on the ground with the legal team. I I remember we had a whiteboard on the wall with with seven different lawsuits, all of which were pending simultaneously, any one of which could cost the presidency of the United States. It was utter chaos, and and the case went not once but twice to the U.S. Supreme Court. First time we went to the U.S. Supreme Court, we won unanimously, nine to nothing, the Supreme Court vacated the Florida Supreme Court, said you got it wrong, and clarified federal law. Then the Florida Supreme Court, which was a partisan Democratic court, essentially defied the Supreme Court. We went back to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the second time the court ruled 7-2 to two on the merits that what was happening in Florida violated the Equal Protection Clause. But, but critically, the court ruled 5-4 to four on the remedy that the case was over, it, 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 that the ballots had been counted, they had been counted four times. Every time the ballots were counted, George W. Bush had won. And, and the court said, enough is enough. Uh, you can't just keep recounting and recounting and recounting. And, and the entire country and world sat for 36 days in chaos and uncertainty 
not knowing the results. If we'd had a 4-4 court instead of a functioning nine-justice court, there would have been no resolution. If you have the federal court of appeals and the state Supreme Court in conflict, or if you have, say, the Ninth Circuit adjudicating a case out of Arizona and the Eleventh Circuit adjudicating a case out of Florida, with a 4-4 Supreme Court, nobody can resolve that conflict, and, and you're just in chaos. That would be irresponsible for the Senate to allow that to happen. Let me close, Senator Cruz, by encouraging everyone to go get one vote away. I especially appreciate your discussion of Roe, Casey, and why they are not written in stone. And indeed, while Chief Justice Roberts' concurrence in Citizen United, it is important for constitutional matters to be decided, but they must be decided right. Do you think the media must continue to ask Vice President Biden and Kamala Harris whether or not they will pack the court? Absolutely, they should keep asking. They should get them on record, but but I think they're going to keep ducking because they're telling the left wing they want to pack the court. Uh, you know, I will say to your listeners, this, this book, One Vote Away, I, I, I wrote it this, this spring and summer. Um, I obviously didn't know we'd have a Supreme Court vacancy now, but I, I knew we'd have an election now. And, it, and it's really designed – you don't have to be a lawyer to enjoy this book, to understand this book. Of course it, not. It's nope. designed to bring people behind the curtain, to help them understand – what's going on at the court, who the justices are, what are the issues at stake at the Supreme Court, uh, and also what are the issues at stake in, in the 2020 presidential election and, and the issues at stake in, the, in this gladiatorial battle playing out over Judge Barrett. And, and so I think uh, the book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Anywhere you get books, you can buy it. But it's a book that I think you will enjoy. It, it, it's readable and fun and interesting with a lot of inside war stories, but, but it also, I, I hope and believe, will, will arm you with, with information to understand these fights that are playing out right now. So timely, so well written, lots of stuff I didn't know from behind the curtain. One Vote Away, How a Single Supreme Court Seat Can Change History by Senator Ted Cruz. Thank you, Senator. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. Democrats in the media are attacking Republicans for pushing ahead with a new Supreme Court nominee while allegedly dragging their feet on a coronavirus relief bill. There's just one problem. The coronavirus bill put forward by Democrats is a dangerous expansion of the federal government that puts our economy at even more risk of fiscal collapse. Though we don't hear much about it anymore, the United States debt-to-GDP ratio has increased dramatically in the 21st century. When George W. Bush took office, we had a debt ratio of under 60%. Today, we have a debt ratio of over 100%, 107% to be precise. In simple English, this means our government owes more than our entire economy produces in a year. America simply cannot afford more of these immense spending bills. Republicans are right to reject the Democrats' short-sighted, ridiculous proposal. Now, imagine the spending binge if Democrats gain the presidency, too. I'm Jerry Boyer. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.